Bird's Eye View is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find more podcasts like this at BaltimoreSportsReport.com. BaltimoreSportsReport.com. Welcome back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and baseless opinion. Today is June 23rd, 2014. This is episode 83. I am Scott, big boy, shock jock, Magnus, and I'm here with my color commentator, Jake Ben McDonald English, or as I like to call him, Jenglish. <laughs> you get all the names and I get that. Yes, you get Jenglish. Nice. Thanks, Sam. You can find us at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. You can also find us on the Baltimore Sports Report Network. You can find that at baltimoresportsreport.com slash network. You can also go find us at Miro, Stitcher, Double Twist, and on iTunes. Please go and rate us there if are, you can find us. Are you sure? Yeah, you can You can find us. Trust me. Just okay. refresh. Um, you can also find us on social media on Facebook at BEVCast. You can also find us on Twitter at BirdseyeViewBAL. That's BirdseyeViewBAL. On Google Plus, if you so desire to still use that inadequate product. And you can find us on YouTube if you so want to see a picture that is stagnant and not use any of the other forms of media. Um, you can also find us on post-game live shows on channel BSR. Go to BaltimoreSportsReport.com slash live. Tuesdays and Thursday games, 15 minutes after the game. And you can see our lovely, beautiful, sensual, sexy faces talk about Orioles baseball after the game. Yikes. And don't forget to hit us up on the Amazon banner at the bottom of birdseyeviewbaltimore.com so we can get that measly 2 to 3% that Amazon throws our way so that we can you know, pay the taxes on everything that is due to us. Right. Jake, what's your drink of the week? My drink of the week is, um, Scott, I'm going to alarm you here. I'm drinking real beer. Okay. Right now I'm staring uh, longingly into the face of a dogfish head 90-minute Imperial IPA. Holy cow. That's a really good beer, actually. It's real beer. Holy wow. That's unbelievable. I, that's an actual beer that I'm a little jealous that you're drinking. Where did you come across that beer? Uh, at my local my, my local beer store. So you went and you specifically bought a fancy beer as opposed to just going and picking up something with a mustache. I made my own six-pack of all different fancy beers. Six different fancy beers for my pleasure at home. Well, that's pretty fancy. Um, But, you know, if you really want to hear about fancy beers, you should go listen to the Baltimore Sports Report podcast because uh, they had a whole discussion about fancy beers on their podcast. The highlight of that that uh, was them talking about Trogues, which is a, a uh, brewery I'm a real believer in. A couple weeks ago, I went to a wedding in Harrisburg and there was Trogues on tap and it was awesome i don't know how people have never heard of trogues it's a great brewery i was flabbergasted yeah so on one hand bsr guys i'm I'm thrilled you did that segment on the other hand i'm shamed at you that nobody said trogues yeah i love that so bsr you're on notice scott Um, what are you drinking i'm actually going with a flying dog it's called woody creek belgian style white um it's a you know, a white ale um, that has a little bit of an orange peel characteristic too. Jake, I think you described it as... Um, it was dog piss with a hint of pine needle. Yeah, that's exactly the way you described it. Um, I think it's a, a fresh, you know, 
nice summer beverage, but you know, ninety minute IPA. Kudos, that's a great choice. All right, all right, Scott. Before we get into an argument about what we're drinking, I want to tell you I'm feeling a little nostalgic with this Orioles Yankees series that, that we're going to talk about in a little bit. I want to go back to an old friend. Hit the music. <laughs> That's right. It's time for the Brian Roberts watch. Now, Scott, this may surprise you, but Brian Roberts appeared in Friday and Saturday's game for the New York Yankees wearing number 14 and pinstripes. He went four for eight with a double, a strikeout, and a stolen base. Now, here's where things get weird. Are you ready for things to get weird? I'm ready for things to get weird. You're always ready for things to get weird. I like things to get weird with Diana Roberts, too. In (laughs) 2014... Brian Roberts has played 64 games, and I just want to give you his stat line. Okay. Right? 244, 326, 344, 671. All right, that's his slash line. Okay. He's got 14 RBIs, but here's the important thing, zero concussions. Okay, that's that's impressive. 64 games. I mean, that's that's pretty good. Right. Just for comparison's sake, I want to I want to throw this by you. This is the Orioles second baseman platoon, if you okay. will. Okay. All right. The slash line is 242, 289, 338, and a 627. Okay. All of those statistics are lower than Brian Roberts. However, the two the two cats we got playing second base, 31 RBI, and again, zero concussions. Okay. So I ask you, Scott, Brian Roberts was told to move on by the Baltimore Orioles. Judging by that, right decision, wrong decision. Where is the breakout for Woba and UZR? I pulled up the stats so they don't exist. Because there's no such thing as Woba and UZR. So I'm asking you, based on what I just said, who made the right call? The Orioles made the right call. Um, Brian Roberts, you know, is part of the past. Yes, it would have been great to have him for another year, but the Orioles had to move on eventually. So Brian Roberts, I miss you, especially miss your wife, but it doesn't look like we are really missing out on too much. All right, with that, on that sad note, Scott, it's time for the twat. This week on the Twitters. Jake, I'm going to start with a, uh, a a club note. You know, we're all trying to get in shape here for the summer and, you know, going out to the gym. Well, there's one club that's starting out, and it's, you know, from Adam Jones. Adam Jones posts yesterday, Steve Pierce can hit. He's deaf a stay-hungry member. Who else wants to join? Can I express my disappointment with this tweet? Really? Yes, I'm incredibly disappointed. Okay. Adam Jones didn't put Steve Pierce's Twitter handle in That's that point. Post. Do you think he knows he has a Twitter handle? I don't think he does. Mm. Do you know who does know that that uh, Mr. Pierce has a Twitter handle? Um, Bud Norris? I do. Oh, you do? Why is that? Because Mr. Uh, Mr. Steve Pierce may follow this particular program. Well, you know, on the Twitters, when you flop between Norfolk and Major League Baseball, you know, you've got to follow mediocre podcasts like this. Flop no more because Steve Pierce is a stay hungry member. All right. I want to go into something that I'm calling. Thanks a lot, iTunes. And frankly, thanks a lot, Obama. A tweet from at trucker Mike. uh, Mick. Mick Maybe at trucker Mick O.C., which is Michael Deal. Michael Deal. He tweets out bird's eye view. I feel kind of dumb. I thought you guys stopped after episode 76. Just found you again on Stitcher. You may think that we stopped, and you may wish we stopped, but we're never going to stop. Yeah, you, it, only, you only think we stopped because that's what iTunes and Major League Baseball wants you to believe. But we will always broadcast. We will always be out there. We'll always be telling you the truth about Orioles baseball until our wives tell us to stop podcasting. That is exactly right. Yes. 
Um, going back, the streak broke this week with J.J. Hardy hitting his first home run of the season uh, this weekend. Go crazy, folks. Go and, crazy. Yes. And Rockabaco posted on Twitter um, saying, Buck on Hardy's silent treatment, it was tough for me. I wanted to hug him when he came by, but I had to go along with the program. All right, Scott, BSR Podcast talked about this week. I'm sorry, guys. I'm going to steal your topic. Yay or nay on the silent treatment? Is it getting old? Uh, Zach knocked this out of the park. Silent treatment, way old. I'm going to be the fuddy-duddy and say, eh, I'm not big feeling feel on, this, on the silent treatment, especially since they followed up with Caleb Joseph two times in one weekend. Eh, not feeling it. Let me ask you this. J.J. Hardy went back into the dugout. Did you hear Gary Thorne's call of the home run and the celebration or not that followed? I did. It's pure joy. It's pure joy. Again, it's pure joy with the baseball. The only reason it is a good celebration is because J.J. Hardy dumps sunflower seeds over his head. Besides that, it's a pretty poor execution by the Orioles team. I'm on the fence, but I will say that Gary Thorne's reaction made it for me. Well, you may be on the fence, so we're going to go to the challenge system. One second. Okay, it's been overturned. It's not acceptable. <laughs> Moving on. I, I feel like this is not helpful. All right. <laughs> Last, I want to talk a little bit about fan loyalty, Scott. A lot has been made of fan loyalty here in Baltimore because we had to uh, we had to go through 14 years of of losing of horrors of an empty house in a beautiful stadium. Rich Dubroff, who tweets at Rich Dubroff CSN, tweeted the following: Hashtag #Yankees announced their third sellout of the season. Two of them have come with the Orioles in town. Coincidence? I think not. Can I spend a second and just pat ourselves on the back? All right, we, we put up out a post this week on birdseyeviewbaltimore.com where we talked about the amount of orange that was in the park this weekend, specifically on Saturday. But Birdland, this is me tipping my cap to you, which you can't see in the audio format. I was really impressed with the way that Birdland came out in New York. And sure, I get it. It's a metropolitan area of 19.9 million people. There are probably a few Orioles and, and Baltimore expats. But at the same time, kudos to those guys for showing up. I think it's also impressive, too, that, you know, you've got a situation here with the Yankees, only the third sell of the season. The Orioles have already had six sellouts so far during this entire season. Are you saying that one fan base cares about their team and the other fan base cares about winning? Um, Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. But, you know, honestly, I think we're taking this a little extreme. I think we need to go to the source. I think we need to go to someone in New York and get their opinion on what happened this weekend between the Orioles and the Yankees. All right, if we do that, Scott, you're to be on your best behavior. Oh, I will. I will. <laughs> I'm frightened. Play the music. All right, now, Scott, I know this is going to shock you, but I, I did some reading about the Orioles this week. Yeah, that's right. I read. I read things before we got together for this show. Uh, but one of the things I read was actually a, an article written by David Lennon of Newsday, and it was actually a really interesting take on the Yankees from, from the insider's perspective. As opposed uh, to just the Baltimore media perspective? Exactly. So after reading it, uh, we reached out, and we got uh, David on the phone, and he was foolish enough to spend some time with us here on Bird's Eye View. Uh, David Lennon of Newsday, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure, guys. Happy to uh, happy to be on. 
So again, I read the the article with interest, and uh, it, it was it was really great because I feel like there are a lot of parallels between the Orioles and the Yankees this year, um, specifically right now, and the fact that that your article kind of called out the Yankees' offense for for failing to show up, which is something that, as Oriole fans, we know a little bit about these these days. Um, but I wanted to ask you specifically about um, the comments that Joe Girardi made, um, and and you called it diversionary in your article, talking about Steve Pierce's slide. Um, and using the word malicious. And before we go any further, um, do you think that there was anything to that, or do you think it was much to do about nothing? Uh, when, when I first saw the play, uh, it, it did look to me, I wouldn't use the term malicious, uh, but it was certainly overly aggressive. You know, I understood what Steve Pierce was trying to do there. Uh, people don't think about breaking up double plays at third base. They just think about hard takeout slides at second. So that's why it seemed a little irregular. But when you first saw that, and especially on replay, you do notice that he, you know, he kind of changes his slide a little bit once he sees Kelly Johnson coming across the base. So he cert- the slide was certainly directed to Kelly Johnson. And in that case, it can also be very dangerous uh, because a third baseman can't see somebody coming in like that, like a shortstop or, or even a second baseman to some extent can see a runner on a double play. So it could be a very dangerous play, and I would characterize it as overly aggressive when I first saw it. Uh, but, you know, I thought Joe Girardi took it a step further after the game when he used the when he used a very loaded word when, when he said malicious. Well, actually, it's a really interesting play because um, about 10 days ago on uh, Orioles.com, there was an article posted by Harvey Valentine, um, and he works for MLB.com, and he was actually noting that the Orioles have designated plans for breaking up these double plays. There was a play in a Friday game against the Blue Jays where Caleb Joseph basically slid into second base against Brett Lowry about 25 feet short in order to try to break up a double play and to prevent being tagged out and kind of, you know, get, not getting to that double play. So um, he basically came at the end of that game and said that these are plays that we're working on in spring training. So it definitely seems that the Orioles have worked on these plays not just in terms of being aggressive on the base pass, which obviously the Pierce play was an aggressive play, um, but you know, have also looked at this and saying, how are we going to use base running to our advantage and avoiding these double play situations as well? Well, it, it, it's interesting that you know us in New York and Buck Showalter actually was the first manager I ever covered. You know, my first year on the on the Yankees beat as a rookie myself was '95, which was Buck's last year, so. A bunch of us in New York are, are, are very familiar with Buck. Um, you know, we enjoy interacting with him and, and talking to him. And, you know, one of the things he mentioned to me, and he's mentioned it before after the game, was, you know, what, what the Orioles try to do, you know, is establish these organizational ways to play the game. I mean, not, you know, they're not reinventing the wheel, you know, but they want their guys, you know, during their development, certainly coming up in the minor leagues, and then once they get to the majors, hopefully it's already ingrained by then. But, you know, a certain way to play the game, to know how to play the game fundamentally well, to know how to play the game hard, you know, to do the things that are difference makers in a game. You know, that play that Steve Pierce did um, was, was a difference maker. I mean, that was a big part of the game. Absolutely. And, and it's not going to show up in the box know, what, score either. So, again, it's just a great play, but it's never going to show up in a box score or in a sabermetric stat. It's just it was a play that you have to see to say, oh, that made a difference. Right. I mean, and when that play happened, there was one writer that said in the press box that knows Buck, and what he said was, Buck ball. 
You know, why, why don't the Yankees play that way? Why do the Yankees just kind of at times seem like they go into the motions rather than doing what can be looked at as a little thing right in breaking up a double play that wound up leading to a big inning that wound up making the difference and, you know, turning a close game into a blowout. So, you know, these are things that Buck, as we've known him through the years, whether it was with the Yankees, whether it was with the Diamondbacks, you know, now with the Orioles, you know, these are things that Buck pays close attention to every detail because he knows. I mean, these are small things, um, you know, that can make a big difference in a game for sure. Well, let me ask you this. And again, one of the things that drew me to this article that I found so interesting was that you said that Joe Girardi used the the M word, as you called it, malicious to, to de- describe the slide. And you said that you didn't really, you know, think that was necessarily the case, but it was exactly what Joe Girardi needed to do after a tough series. And I was wondering if you could just expand on that a little bit about uh, for us, you know, where does Joe Girardi take his team after a, a loss of a series like this? Well, I mean, obviously, guys, the start of the series, and actually the homestand, uh, had been very good for the Yankees. I mean, they had swept the Blue Jays uh, before the Orioles arrived. I mean, he was a perfect situation where you're having your top two competitors come into town for the week, uh, and they were off to a great start, you know, in beating the Blue Jays three straight. Then, of course, very uplifting, very, you know, emotional win Friday night, you know, with the walk-off home run Feltran. So Yeah, we remember. So that Thanks. was something. Yeah, I'm sure <laughs> you guys do. Uh, probably too well. But, you know, you, know, you want to go. You know, one, one good one win is fine. But in baseball, as you guys know, you want to win series. You want to reel off six of seven. You want to win nine of 12. You know, you want to build on it. You don't want it to just die. And what happened over the weekend, it just kind of died. You know, it fell flat. Two pretty poor performances by the Yankees, aside from Tanaka, which is a game they're used to winning. So what that brings me to uh, is, in a kind of winding way, is that, you know, after they lost that game in the way they did, you know, there are times where you can tell when a manager is anxious to say something. And when that Pierce play was thrown out there for that post-game press conference, you know, Girardi kind of jumped on it. You know, he kind of took the bait. What he could have said was, yeah, you know, that was an aggressive play. You know, I'm glad my guy wasn't hurt on it. But, you know, there are other plays in the game. He didn't do that. You know, he used the word malicious, which, of course, you know, everybody in the room, like, antenna goes up. Yeah. You know, it's on the radar, the red flag. I mean, we're just, like, fired up at them. Yeah, 140 you know? characters are going and, all across the room at that point. <laughs> right, exactly. So, like, whoa, you know, malicious guys, as you know, watching, you know, post-game press conference, that's not a word that's mentioned very much after baseball games. Sure. So, yeah. anyway... So we're all charged up over that. And, you know, then, you know, he goes into that whole routine with malicious. And then later, you know, when it does again, he circles back and say, hey, guys, you know, let's not get into semantics here. I'm, I'm not an English guy. I'm, I'm a math guy. You know, I, I, you know, don't take what I said, you know, out of context or whatever. And it's like, you know what? Gerardi's a smart guy. You know, I don't care whether it's numbers, words, letters, uh, you know, elements, chemical, chemistry-wise, you know, he knows what he's talking about, so he knew what he was doing, and he knew that that was going to wind up being the focus afterwards, and he's right. It's not just my story, but, I mean, I'm the one who talked about it as kind of a diversionary thing, but if you look at the other tabloids in town this morning, what's everybody writing and talking about? They're writing about that play. So instead of throwing his own players under the bus or mentioning later in that interview how, yeah, you're right, I expected these guys to hit better. You know, which he did mention quickly and moved away from, you know, he turned the attention away from really a group of guys that are, as I mentioned in the story, 
right now looking overpaid and, and certainly underperforming. So, you know, it sent me running to the Orioles clubhouse afterwards to talk to the players involved. So in that case, the diversion worked to some degree. Um, you know, it was it's, it was an interesting series in, in regards to you know the comments I just made where it's like, okay, you guys were coming in from the Blue Jays series, you had just swept um, the first place, you know, Blue Jays, and you had a great opportunity to basically knock the Orioles back and also possibly leapfrog into first place. And this is you know classic Yankees baseball where you're starting to you know turn on the accelerator right around June and just kind of go full blast right into the playoffs. And you know it's kind of been this whole thing with the American League East, and the whole thing has just been. Or, you know, one of the topics of our podcast last week was treading water. The Orioles so far has been, been treading water. Yes, they'll win a series, but then the next series they'll come back and they'll lose that series. Um, you know, the Yankees have kind of been in a similar aspect. They'll put a few games together and be like, oh, the Yankees are going to finally turn around. And then they'll put together a series that is just like, eh, what's going on here? The only team that actually has had a sustained winning um, streak has been Toronto. But now Toronto's coming out and is losing sustainable games too. So it looks like everyone in the American League East can't figure out how to put on that sustainable win streak and then continue to win series afterwards. And um, I mean, what do you think about that? I mean, do you think that's just the American League East is a watered down talent or do you think this is just par for the course? No, I mean, I think if you look at those three teams, uh, I wouldn't say they're watered down. I mean, I, I think these teams, you know, have some pretty good talent on it. Um, I just think what, what you mentioned, I mean, they've, they've fallen into a little bit of a pattern early on where they haven't found a way to, to play consistent winning baseball, you know, the Blue Jays did, you know, for a couple of weeks when, you know, when we looked at that Blue Jays team even last year, you know, people talked about how, what a flop they were after the deals they made and what a disappointment they were. They had a lot of guys hurt, you know. <laughs> they had a lot of offensive talent on that team, pretty loaded, and, and guys wound up getting hurt and really kind of sabotaged what they were trying to do there. You know, if that lineup is able to stay healthy, it should be able to produce runs. I mean, there's no doubt about that. You look up and down that lineup, those are proven dangerous hitters. And it's also a lineup with, uh, it's multidimensional. It's not just a bunch of guys that are sluggers. They have a guy in Jose Reyes, who was a great catalyst at the top of the order. You know, they have other guys who are not just power hitters, but good hitters in Bautista, who's a very good on-base guy and slugging guy, in addition to the home runs. And Carnacion, who's a very, you know, fearsome hitter. So, you know, that's a lineup that can be dangerous. Now, where I, I see a team that could separate itself or start to make some progress here in, in why the Yankees, you know, why the Orioles and the Blue Jays should worry about that to some degree, is I think the Yankees are going to find a way to, to, to get somebody else in here, whether it's going to be another pitcher, whether they think they need offensive help, whether it could be both. And why the Yankees are kind of positioned to do that is they've never been kind of afraid to to really take a chunk out of their farm system or to trade guys in order to do that. You know, I think in Baltimore, where you're a little bit tighter with resources and the Blue Jays as well. Money. Um, <laughs> yeah, money, money too. But resources too. You want to hold on to some of your younger talent as well. Uh, which the Yankees, you know, they just spent a half a billion dollars, as you guys well know, uh, we, we've to make sure it. what happened last year, not getting to the playoffs. But that doesn't happen again. So, I think this is really going to be a big push. Cashman said a week ago that, yes, we're going to make a deal. We always do make deals. We're going to make another one this year. So I think what they'll aim for is a pitcher. A starting pitcher is a very big need for them. But it'll be interesting to see how the, the Orioles and Blue Jays and the Yankees, what they acquire. Because these are teams that, that need another piece to, for their sake. They want to try to separate. I don't think a team is going to be able to separate, but they're going to try to find a piece that's going to help them try to do that. 
One of the big things that Cashman was talking about during the offseason last year was uh, the run differential issues that the Yankees experienced uh, in 2013. Um, and that was something that the Yankees were going to try to fix this year. And um, so far, it looks like the Yankees haven't been able to address you know, the run differential. I believe there are 30 runs under um, under what they should be for runs allowed to, which is very, you know, it should be a below a 500 baseball team based off, you know, Pythagorean record. Um, whereas the Blue Jays and, you know, the Orioles are right there at 500. In fact, I think the Blue Jays are like 40 or 50 runs above. Um, you know, do you think a pitcher would really help to solve that? Or do you really think that they need to bring someone in here to, you know, shore up some of the offense in the outfield? Well, you know, you're right. I mean, the run differential is something they didn't expect. And a big reason for that, uh, they pitched pretty good, you know, considering that they lost three-fifths of their rotation to start the year. The young guys they brought in, Chase Whitley, has done a good job. David Phelps has pitched fairly well. Fidel Nuno has not. Um, but the bullpen has pitched great. So the pitching side, I think they'll have a good handle on. And from the offensively, what makes me think that they won't bring in an offensive guy is they have so many guys that aren't performing up to their levels right now. You know, whether it's Carlos Beltran, Teixeira had shown signs of coming out of that and been better. Brian McCann certainly hasn't provided uh, the punch that they were hoping for. So Jacoby Ellsbury has had a couple stretches where he's looked uh, pretty good, but they're asking him right now, guys, this, this is a guy they've signed in Ellsbury to be a leadoff hitter. They're batting in third, you know, which is really kind of, you know, they got a little lucky with that earlier when he actually showed a little pop and, and he showed a little bit still. But, you know, this is a lineup where they expect it to perform much better than it has been. And I think that's why they're going to wait a little bit to see if it does. Now, they have some injury concerns. You know, Beltran is playing with a bone spur in his elbow. If that acts up and he's not a guy that's going to be able to go out there every day or is going to need surgery, that's going to change things. You know, that's going to make them look more for a bat. But I think they're going to wait uh, a couple more weeks and see. I think pitching is a little more urgent. I think pitching is something they're going to try to get uh, a little bit of ways before the deadline. Uh, whereas an offensive player, I think they can uh, I think they can wait. One thing, I, I don't know how closely you've looked at it, but one guy who was a, a very big surprise for them and, and Yonhera Solarte uh, has really cooled off. I mean, Solarte had really been saving them. Yeah, he's been hot, cold, hot, cold. Yeah. Yeah, well, now he's just cold. Yeah, exactly. And that has, yeah, right, that has been a real, uh, that's hurt them. You know, they thought they had something with him and he was going to be continued, but right now it's looking like a case where he might, uh, you know, he might not belong to the team right now as far as the major league level. So, um, yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting to see where they identify their biggest need. I still think it's a starting pitcher. Though. Jake, before you pop in here, I got one really point, quick point to point out here for the runs differential. The Blue Jays are currently ninth in the Major League Baseball with 20, plus 25. The Orioles are 11th with plus 9, and the Yankees right now are 25th in Major League Baseball with a negative 30. I'm going to let you pop in with your next question. All right. Uh, and, you know, and again, we appreciate you taking the time to spend spend a few minutes with us, so we don't, we don't want to abuse your time too much. <laughs> but I do want to ask you this. It's important not to overanalyze on three games. Uh, but I was wondering if you could mm-hmm. just take a, a, a quick sec to kind of give us your takeaways from the three-game series between the Orioles and the Yankees and kind of project that into what you think looms in the future uh, for the meetings between these two clubs. Well, what, one thing immediately, and I'm, I'm curious to see how it pans out because there were kind of rumblings about that, is to see where the, where the Pierce thing goes from here. You know, do the Yankees kind of take that to heart 
uh, and that winds up being some sort of retaliation. Watch out, we throw bats. Yeah, I mean, that the next time these two teams meet, I mean, if you if you think this guy was being reckless and dangerous and malicious towards one of your players, it hasn't been the Yankee way recently to retaliate. These aren't the the Daryl Strawberry Yankees of the uh, of the late '90s. You know, they they don't have those enforcer types. So, but I'm wondering to see if there's any carryover from that. Um, but you know, the Orioles coming from their manager and, and Showalter. I mean, these guys always you know, have a thing for the Yankees. I, they're always going to play them tough. Like you guys mentioned, offensively, the Orioles are not performing where they thought they would. Uh, the Weeders injuring, uh, obviously, is a, is a big problem for them. So, but I don't really, I think when the season began, I picked the Orioles to be the wild card team uh, in the AL East. So I, I think I'm looking good for that. Where I'm not looking so good is where I picked the Rays to win the division. So <laughs> I think I'm going to be a little you, bit you off and me on both. that one. Yeah, David, don't feel bad. I picked, so, him, I picked him for the World Series, so I feel really bad. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I just kind of I got tired of it. I was like, you know what? Every year I, I ignore the Rays, and every year they make me look bad. Yeah, Joe you know, Madden by, just makes us all look terrible. So well. so I, but I, I like the Orioles. You know, I, I liked what I saw from them last year. Um. And I, I just didn't like the way I, I thought there was going to be a, a, a lull with the Red Sox coming back. And the Yankees, I thought they still had some holes uh, coming back. So if you're talking about the Nets, the Yankees, and the Orioles the rest of the way, you know, I don't really see, uh, like we've mentioned, a lot of separation between those two teams. I'd like to see where the aggression goes from this point when they play next. Uh, and this is not a pitching staff on the Yankees side. That really scares the Orioles at all, you know. As we as we saw this weekend, you know, the Orioles were the team that, that flexed the muscle and that hit home runs in the Yankees' own ballpark, you know, which is unusual. And, and the Yankees, the way they're playing right now, you know, can't have shown they don't have the ability to go head to head with the Orioles right now from an offensive standpoint. Well, I mean, it's really interesting too because it's a really interesting schedule for how the Orioles and Yankees have been so far. We've only played six games against the Orioles and Yankees to, the, to this point. We've got a backloaded schedule here for the Orioles and Yankees for the second part of the series. And I'm also looking at that last week of the schedule for the Baltimore Orioles. We play the Yankees and then we finalize the schedule by playing in Toronto as well to end the season. So that could be some memorable games for many teams in the American League East. Um, giving consideration that it doesn't look like the Yankees or the Blue Jays are going to have much separation in this American League East. It's going to come down to the wire, and you know it's great to see meaningful baseball both in New York, Baltimore, and hopefully even Toronto. Yeah, I mean, I, I think guys that they want to, and, and I know people go back and forth on this when they look at when they crunch the numbers on it um, and talk about the worth of a manager and how much a difference a manager can make. And you know, I, I think when teams are, are bunched this close, I think managers can make a difference. You know, whether it's a few wins over the course of a long season or not, but you talk about the last week, you know, facing those teams. And I think Buck Showalter and Joe Girardi, I, I like John Gibbons too. Um, but I think Buck is a guy who has a really good feel for the personnel that he has on his team. Um, he does a really good job of, of, of playing the right guys or, or knowing what's going on with his players. So I think that is a pretty good advantage for the Orioles, as you might feel bad about other parts of the club or underperforming parts. I think, in short series, and especially down the stretch like that, I think that's a pretty good asset to have. And I think Buck does uh, Buck can be an advantage for that down towards the end of the end of the year. Well, David, thank you so much for uh, for coming on the Bird's Eye View for sharing your thoughts with us. Uh, we encourage everybody here in Birdland uh, when you're looking to to get a scope on the enemy, go on up and check out Newsday. You can also find it on Newsday.com to to read uh, David's writing on the Yankees, on the Mets on all things baseball. And if I'm not mistaken, you also tweet at 
D.P. Lennon. Is that correct? That is correct, guys, for sure. All right. Well, we will direct as many eyeballs in Baltimore as we can to those things. Hopefully, I, hopefully not hate tweets. Yeah, I, I can't. I can't. I can't promise that that we'll always be the most polite. But again, thanks for talking baseball. Uh, we may not love the Yankees, but we do love uh, baseball people and baseball. And fans. we love the rivalry. It's as simple as that. <laughs> so thanks. Well, if you happen to make, if you happen to make it into Camden Yards when the Yankees are visiting, please uh, try to stop by or let me know that you're there. I'd, I'd uh, like to say hi and see how, see how things are going. We'll do that. We'll All do right. that. Thanks so much. Take care, guys. Thanks, David. <laughs> All right, Scott, we're calling this one In the Kitchen. Now, it was recently announced that Manny Machado would be releasing his own line of salsa. Uh, The announcement will actually be made tomorrow, officially, and his salsas will be uh, sold exclusively at Giant. So you're saying that Manny Machado's salsa leaked out? Yes. Okay. That's exactly what I'm saying. Now, we don't know much about the salsa, other than the picture that's been released. It features two varieties, mild and medium. And, Scott, I'm, I'm telling you it's a good thing that they don't appear to be producing a hot, because it's the best, because I didn't really like it when Machado got hot during the A's series. It made me uncomfortable. Yeah, it's just really weird that just mild to medium. That just seems like a weird salsa choice. Anyway, salsa kind of makes sense for Manny. I mean, he's a you know he's a Latin guy. He's got a uh, well, as recently displayed, fiery, that sounded racist, fiery personality. Are you upset because that's your uh, that's your you have that market cornered on the show? I feel like that's my character persona, and you have immediately <laughs> stolen it. All right, so he's got a little <laughs> bit of a fiery personality. It's, it's a good fit, maybe you know. But that got us thinking: what would be the perfect food item for? other Orioles to slap their names on. Are you following me on this one? I, I think I understand where you're going here. Let me let me give you an example, all right? Um, here we go. J.J. Hardy. I'm thinking plain yogurt. I think about it. You know, yogurt is plain. It's boring. It's unremarkable. Vanilla and bland in every way. And this is J.J. Hardy. But think about it. You can put plain yogurt in so many awesome things, just like you can insert J.J. Hardy in the lineup of a potent Orioles offensive attack. It's one of the necessary ingredients in in fruit smoothies, and you can use it to make dressing. It's the perfect complement for a great meal. I'm going to go with J.J. Hardy as a rice cake because, again, he's plain, but he's also very dry and he's very white. So, J.J. Hardy, get marketing on that uh, that rice cake idea. Um, Another one would be Chris Tillman. I was given some consideration of what we could come up with Chris Tillman, and the one thing that popped in my head was beans. <laughs> this is an easy one. Under right condition, this can cause a gaseous, combustible situation. So, so too with our number one starter. But, you know, it's, it's a good meal, but I like that. it can a, cause a, gas. A line of beans. Yeah. All yeah. right. Here, here's one, and this is a bit of a stretch, so I want you to come with me on this okay. one, okay? Steve Pierce with his own line of avocados. You take that back, sir. No, no, avocados. All right, I'm listening. All right, here's the thing. Avocado is, is a pretty amazing food, and it makes a ton of things better. 
as does Steve Pierce with the Orioles lineup. By itself, it's unremarkable, but it can make the difference between a successful or failed uh, salad or, or even a sandwich. It's also a food that takes forever to become ripe. And when it's finally ripe, its shelf life is incredibly short, just like our friend Steve Pierce. See, this is where you're wrong, and this is why I can tell you this right now, is Steve Pierce is not avocado because, you know, when you go to Chipotle and they say the guacamole is going to be extra, there's no way that Steve Pierce is ever going to be extra. He just comes along with the, comes along with the roster. All right, I got you. Can I, can I try one more on All you? right, try one more on me. All right, I'm going to go to Ubaldo Jimenez. And I gave Ubaldo Jimenez a lot of thought. Okay. Not everybody is an American, Scott. And not everybody has the same taste when it comes to food. All right. I'm thinking that Ubaldo Jimenez is roasted giant water beetles. Here's my thinking. Roasted giant water beetles. Easy, easy. I got this. Okay. Roasted giant water beetles. It's a delicacy somewhere. And and bug eating enthusiasts compare it favorably to scallops. All right, here's how it reminds me of Jimenez. It's wild, and when it's prepared, it can either be amazing or horrible. And whichever way it goes, if you look at it for too long, it makes you vomit. Does that not scream a Baldo Jimenez? It is definitely a wild wild delicacy that only the most brave and enthusiastic adventurers would want to encounter. Um, one other one that I was talking over someone with work and, you know, we were talking about Jonathan scope and his, someone was saying, I can't believe you guys make fun of Jonathan scope so much. You know, just looking at some of those stats that we were going over with comparison to Brian Roberts, you know, Jonathan scope really hasn't dissed himself as a great second baseman so far this season. Um, which is why if Jonathan scope were to go out there right now and market something, I would have to give consideration that he would open a burger chain bar and be serving undercooked burgers. Because again, it's almost there, but it's not quite right. It's got all the right kind of ingredients, but when you pop it open, it could just you know stay in the oven for another minute or two, and it'd be perfect. But right now, not quite right. So this isn't just a little pink inside. This is like send it back territory. This is send it back territory. It would be if it was a, at a good restaurant, you might eat it. But this is the Orioles farm organization, so you send it back for a few more minutes. All right, all right. Um, again, marketing chain for uh, another player. I'm going to go with Nick Markakis. All right, and Nick Markakis to me is all about grilled chicken. Nick Markegas should should get a, a grill uh, you know chicken for grilling purposes uh, that he's going to sell because you know think about it it's summer uh, the kids are driving you nuts you need to make a quick dinner so you throw some marinated and chicken in a bag and you grill it up and it, it's nothing flashy or exciting and sometimes it lets you down big time but sometimes under the right conditions it's amazing mm. and that grilled chicken is nothing spectacular but it's an old reliable standby and that has more hits as an Oriole as Brian Roberts. Um, another one I wanted to go through with you really quick, quick was I had one for Chris Davis, and it was delivery order Kung Pao chicken. Now, Jake, I know you love Kung Pao chicken. In fact, we have ordered it numerous times. I love Kung Pao. And the situation always is you get it sometimes and you're like, I love Kung Pao chicken. And then it comes the next time and you're like, oh, my God, this is so terrible. So, Jake, I'm going to go with delivery order Kung Pao chicken for you because based off your, let's just say, your nuances with Kung Pao chicken and how it's supposed to be served, it can either be great or it can be, oh, I can't even bother to eat this. So, Jake, delivery order Kung Pao chicken for Chris Davis. I think you're on to something because I, I really think that it's either it packs a considerable punch 
or it's just the misery between your egg roll and your fortune cookie. I, Scott, I'm, my hat is off to you. That's that's well done. All right, for me, the next uh, the next line of food that needs to come out there is peas, and these peas need to be sold with the the face of Delman Young right on them. And I say peas, but it's a stand-in for really any other food that's healthy that you just can't stand. And look, we all know that Delman Young is a bad guy. He's not a likable human being, and we don't want to root for him. Unfortunately, he's also a solid professional hitter. He's good for the lineup, and we should really have more of him in our, in our diet. And just like peas, we should just pinch our nose and deal with the unpleasantness and move on. Jake, I'm going to finalize this out, and there's one other person I want to talk about, and that's a person that's currently on the roster that I don't think should belong on the roster, and that's TJ McFarland. TJ McFarland, in my opinion, if I had to pick one food group for him, well, I think I'd have to go with, well, I think I'm going to have to go with Spam. Jake, the reason I'm picking Spam for TJ McFarland is he's like the supposed meat substance. He's what no one wants. He's like the imitation meat and he's in this case like the imitation major league pitcher. We talked about him last year when he came up and he was like, oh, this is a real pitcher. You know, I can't believe we fleeced someone out of him, out of the organization. And this is just a situation of he's not real meat. There's a reason why they put meat in a can. This is not a real pitcher. He's artificial at best. Scott, you and I have differing opinions on TJ McFarlane, but that's secondary to the argument we're about to have right now. About Weird Al Yankovic? Yes. What's wrong with Weird Al? Nothing. Okay. But you went for a spam musical reference, and you did not go with Monty Python. That would be a good point. I think I win game, set, and match. And while we're talking about one of the two of us winning game, set, and match, I think it's time that you and I settle once and for all this week a game, a set, and a match when we move on to our next segment, which will be Fantasy Boss. I think we're going to love, actually. Oh, no. Yeah, Jake, uh, bad week for both of us. It looks like we uh, kissed our sisters on this one. Can I ask you something? Yeah. You spliced together my version of You're the Boss and your version of You're the Boss? Yes. And the parts you cut out were Elvis and Gwen Stefani. Yes. Do you know why I did that? No. Because if we put Gwen Stefani and Elvis Presley together in the same audio track, no one would want to listen to the rest of this podcast. I don't want to listen to the rest of this podcast. You just want to hear what it sounds like to have Gwen Stefani and Elvis Presley in the same track. You have done this podcast <laughs> and the world a great disservice, sir. A great disservice. I'm sorry. You were uh, you were talking about making out with your sister. Please continue. Okay. So going back to making out with my sister, the uh, stat we used last week was D, which Jake still believes is an artificially made up stat. So you're telling us neither of us sucked at the D worse? Uh, nobody sucked the D, yes. Um, so we picked D, which was infield uh, ground outs, and we picked batters that would have the most infield ground outs. I picked uh, J.J. Hardy. You picked Manny Machado. Both of them had three 
infield ground. So guess what, Jake? It's a tie. It's a tie. It's a footballish tie. It's kind of, you know, U.S. Yeah, and- a, a lot of people are really still sensitive about this topic. I feel like we shouldn't use the T word when it comes Technically, to... Technically, it's called a draw. Oh. If you actually watch soccer. No. Okay. No, I, I, I know you don't watch soccer. Jenglish. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we tied. So it's eight to four to one. Actually, I think it's eight to three to one if we really want to be technical. Is it eight three one? Eight three one. We're going to have to get our, our, our non-existent intern on, on this to check it out. Intern, get on that. So I think it's eight to three to one, but Jake needs to say that I'm still very much ahead of you. You are way, way, way ahead. So Jake, because we tied, I'm going to seed my advantage and give you the ability to pick out the stat for this week. All right. Now I, that's a very, a, a very, you know, sportsmanlike and, and honest and just decent thing to do. And so Scott, I am going to then. I'm going to then give you the option. Okay. All right. We're going to flip the coin here. Do you want heads or do you want tails? <sighs> I'm going to take heads. Are you sure? Yeah, I'm sure. All right. Heads is hit by pitch. Okay. Hit by pitch. So hit by pitch. Which Orioles batter do you think will be hit by pitch more frequently in the next week? Go. I am going to go with. I'm going to go with with Chris Davis. You're going to go with Chris Davis? Yeah, he seems like the biggest guy, so he'll probably get hit by the pitch the most. All right, so you're going to go with Chris Davis. I'm going to go with Jonathan Scope. Okay, he's been hit by a lot of pitches lately. He has been hit by a lot of pitches. I think that has to do with his placement within the batter's box. Scott, I think you're at a disadvantage here. I disagree. Look at the body mass that I have, and look at the body mass that you've chosen, so I think I'm at an extreme advantage here. Can I tell you something? Yes. This is about as unscientific as it gets. I, I know. This is a pretty poor fantasy ball. Welcome, like, <laughs> welcome to my fantasy I'm boss. really upset that I gave Look, you the you choice Look, you came here. up with 1850s D last week. I, I, that, I, I punish you, sir, with hit by pitch. I thought that was insightful. So, I'm sure um, you did. Yeah. Okay, Jake. Um, let's go through this last weekend. Let's go through who was good, who was bad, and who was ugly. <laughs> Yes, everybody, it's time for the good, the bad, and the ugly. Jake, I'm going to start this week and let you finish up this weekend. Um, my good is obviously the one, the only, Steve Pierce. 630 weighted on base average, 313 weighted runs created plus, and added 0.49 in terms of win probability added. An absolutely monstrous week for Steve Pierce. Absolutely dominating the offense at this time. I have no idea what any of those numbers mean, but he was really, really good this yes. week. Jake, who was your good for the week? All right. My good for this week is going to be the much maligned members of our bullpen. Yes, I say much maligned because we got really good performances this weekend, particularly from none other than TJ McFarland and from Tommy Hunter. Let me just look back here at the week that TJ McFarland had. He gave this bullpen four excellent innings, and in those innings, no earned runs. He was darn near perfect when the the bullpen needed him the most. We went with with a short bullpen for much of the uh, much of the week. He he really turned in some great performances, and not just in mop up duty. Then you get to Tommy Hunter. 
All right, Tommy Hunter appeared in two games. In 3.2 innings, he gave up one hit. And that's been his bugaboo is that he hasn't been able to produce clean innings. So this is a really good sign from Tommy Hunter. If he's not going to be the closer, we kept saying it. He can be a weapon. He can be a weapon back there in the bullpen. Great innings from guys that have been beat up by us and by others all season. Yeah, absolutely. Also, getting back to the situation with Tommy Hunter being a potential great setup man, too. He was very good before in the eighth inning. If they can pull Darren O'Day away from that eighth inning and stop putting so much tax and work on him, I think that's a great situation where Darren O'Day or Tommy Hunter can come into the game and be balanced out as an opportune attack for the Orioles coming in uh, for the rest of the season. That analysis was really good. Give me some bad. Okay, let's go to the bad. The obvious bad for me has to be Abaldo Jimenez. Um, 5.20 FIP this week, 6.57 XFIP. And again, it comes back to walks, walks, walks. I think one of the telling comments out of this whole start was that Buck looked at him and he said, okay, Jimenez is going to be able to start again during the doubleheader. And he said, we cannot have Jimenez start during the doubleheader, which is just an indication of he's not able to get deep into games and he's going to tax the bullpen. This is a situation where Buck can't do anything about it, but he knows that he cannot be putting him into situations that is going to be destroying his bullpen. We'll see how long that lasts. I'm not sure what Buck can do about it, but obviously Buck is not happy about it. Can I play devil's advocate for sure, a second? Sure, go ahead. Jimenez was technically in line to get a win before something bad happened on Friday night. Uh, okay, that's fine. We'll be. Let, let me ask you something. Was that more of Hibaldo Jimenez dancing out of trouble? Absolutely. Or was it the fact that none of his wins are going to be are going to be beautiful? No, no, no. I just covered it. 5.20 FIP. No, 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 no. 6.57 XFIP. You use numbers and letters, and I applaud you for knowing them both, sir. But my question to you was, is it more of a matter of he danced out of trouble this one time, or is that going to be the thing that we see from him moving forward? Look, he can eat as many giant water beetles as possible, but the way he pitched on Friday night, he should open a salsa dancing class, not just give a salsa chain because he danced out of so many jams. About Jimenez, you were bad. You got lucky that somebody else took the blame for your loss that you should have gotten on Friday night. You're bad. Jake, who's your bad for the week? All right, my bad is this week is none other than Nelson Cruz. We talked about him carrying the offense for so long. Well, he carries no more. This weekend in, uh, I'm sorry, this week in 24 at-bats, he had only four hits. He batted a measly 167. Even though he drove in four runs this week, that's simply not going to do it from a guy that is in the middle of your order. Are, are you kidding me? Are no. you absolutely kidding me? I'm doing no okay, such thing. You were literally looking at runs poured in during an entire week. Yes. Okay. That is absolutely a travesty beyond regard. Jake, do you not remember the Tampa Bay series? I recall it. Okay. Do you remember the eighth inning? I think something uh, is coming back about okay. the eighth inning. Nelson Cruz posted a .23 WPA, which is win probability added this week. Do you know how he got that win probability added? How did he do that? Let me remind you. Here comes a 2-1 delivery. Fly ball. Deep and left. Open the door, Grandma. I'm getting out of here. Nelson Cruz demolished it with a bases empty home run. It hit the catwalk and kicked back in. Jake, 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 Jake. No, on. no, I'm, I'm going to argue with you on this one, Scott, and I'm going to be right. Are you ready for me to I'm be right? I'm ready for you to be right. The my, win- my grandma's ready to slap you across the face, by the way. The winner there was Joe Angel and not Nelson Cruz. Okay, that, that's that's perfectly fine. But Nelson Cruz put the Orioles up 2 nothing as opposed to just being one nothing. It put 
the game not out of reach. But again, giving a two-run cushion there was a huge benefit for the Orioles in that game. So let's not discount the fact of, yes, Nelson Cruz has only had four runs, but he had a pivotal home run there. There is no way that you can make him bad for this week. He had four hits and 24 tries in the middle of the order. Open the door, Grandma. He's good for this week. In my he opinion. needed to get out of here no, in no, the middle of sorry. the order. No, I'm, you're done. I'm, we're moving on. Jake, my ugly for the week has to go to Chris Davis. 0.210 WOBA, 23 rated ones created plus, and a 34.5% for Case. All right, only the last one of those makes sense to me, and I will wholeheartedly agree with you and co-sign ugly. Yeah. Um, again, it just he's up there. I'm actually going to do a post. I'm going to sit down, and I'm going to look at it. We were talking before earlier this year comparing his 2013 swing to his 2014 swing. I'm going to break it out, and I'm just going to go back to strikeouts from the beginning of the second half of 2013 up to this point now since we're almost halfway through the season. We have a full season's worth of data. I want to look at that and compare it to Mark Reynolds of 2012. Don't. Don't do this. No, no good can come of this. The greatest good in the world can come of this and just showing how poorly— Chris Davis has regressed for the past season. Can I ask you something? Yes. Do you really want to hurt me? Uh, hold up a second. I thought we gave a c- complete ban on singing here, and now you're pulling out lyrics like that? Do you really want to make me cry? Just get to your ugly. All right. Scott, before I get to my ugly, let me ask you a question. What is the general dividing line for good versus bad when it comes to whip? Um... First of all, whip is kind of eh, an old stat that we don't really use anymore. That's like 2012 bird's eye view. Scott, who's talking? Oh, it's true. <laughs> you should just be glad that I'm up to You're 2012. You're like the Joe Angel bird's eye view. <laughs> what, what is the dividing line? I mean, what would you what would you say is good versus not so good? Um, I don't know. Like 1.2 to 1.4 is okay. All right. That's, that's where yeah. you got. This is the man that got a 6.00 whip this week. Brian Mattis in three games over the course of one innings pitched. Again, three appearances, one inning pitched. Brian Mattis gave up five hits and two earned runs, including a walk and a home run. That's not going to get it done. The average against this week for him was 625. I don't understand. I don't understand why Buck, Buck Schulter would be pitching him against anybody other than a lefty because he is the definitive loogie. And when he's not used that way, he is on notice and he is hideously ugly. Are you saying you miss Troy Patton? No, I'm saying <laughs> I miss not seeing more of TJ McFarland. Uh, that's that's really oh yeah yeah. Uh-huh. But you know what's you know what's twisted now about the situation? Ugly. I'm not wrong. Yeah, that's ugly. All right, Jake. Let's close things out. Let's go ahead and blow the save. So I'm going to blow the save this week, Jake. I posted on Twitter this week um, saying that. Um, if you don't get out to OPAC this week, at least once during this homestand, we can't continue to be friends. Sorry, not really, though. Hashtag Orioles. That followed up with Utah Street Report following back and saying, everyone, everyone, be sure to tweet at BirdseyeViewBL pictures of your seats during this homestand so they'll remain your friend. You know what? You're right. Tweet us your pictures and send us your seats, and I want to see exactly where you're sitting and who is sitting around you. And anybody that tweets us with a picture will be entered into a contest for an Orioles Tumblr. That's right, folks. Orioles Tumblr. So send us your pictures of the tweets just to prove Utah Street Report wrong. That's how we're blowing the save this week, Jake. Who wants a Tumblr? You want a Tumblr. Send us pictures. I know you love your contest, and I know you are passionate about the fact that we got to get out and support our team this week, this homestand. I think that's great. And and Scott, if I may, I'm going to take that opportunity 
to wish Baltimore and beyond a fond adieu-adieu. Good night, Baltimore. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go. Oh, yeah. There you go.